it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669, the number to call to be on the show. Uh, today is going to be kind of a, a big day, a lot going on. Secretary of State Blinken is participating in joint press availability with NATO's General Secretary, trying to make sure the West stays involved in Ukraine. Evidently, Germany and France are losing interest. Isn't that nice? Uh, what uh, lack of character there, Zelensky's calling him out. And President Biden will meet virtually with administration officials on the infant formula problem. You know, if you have a kid, this is not getting any better. They say, don't worry, it'll get better in July. July. And he's not a mind reader. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I told the truth to the FBI and the jury clearly recognized that with their unanimous verdict today. Despite being falsely accused... I'm relieved that justice ultimately prevailed in my case. You are a liar, and you know you're a liar. Michael Sussman skates, but the Durham probe fights on. To me, this is failure of the jury, not the prosecution. Sussman was caught lying. He caught on a text. He's caught dead to rights. A friendly jury says, so what? Number two. That every agency that was at that scene should be taking heat. Uh, listen, active shooter protocol say you go in. We're putting it all on the local cop with six cops beneath him. At the end of the day, the police showed up. After that, the sheriff showed up. After that, the state trooper showed up. When did they say, hey, we need to go in? Uh, it turns out Bortek went in on their own, believe it or not. Uvalde trying to unwind what exactly happened inside Robb Elementary amid conflicting reports of cooperation from the sheriff in charge. And more and more children are coming forward with the horror that took place last Tuesday. Also, the latest on the bipartisan talks between ending the obscene violence on schools. Republicans are putting school safety first. The Dems hate guns. Number one. I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that I didn't, at the time didn't fully understand. Janet Yellen says, I was wrong. Prices are soaring. The White House is secretly cheering while deflecting all blame elsewhere. And a study shows that you are adjusting your shopping, dining, and driving patterns to adjust. The White House blame game, as the Secretary of Treasury says, blame me. And the President says, blame the Fed, not me. And then blames his staff. So let's get started. Uh, the NBC report that we touched on yesterday talked about how the president said, why am I getting a cascade of bad news? Why is my communications team always walking back everything I say? Like, for example, what you said about nine millimeter guns. Nobody needs them. Oh, let's walk that back. Missile systems. We're not going to use. We're not going to send them to Ukraine. OK, let's walk that back and just adjust the type of missile system we're sending. And then the president says, you know, it's going to be quick, this this uh, inflation. And we know it's not transitory. Janet Yellen was uh, echoed the president and now Janet Yellen is taking the blame for him and then Brian Deese was up there because his press secretary to replace 
And Jen Psaki's absolutely awful. Brian Deese is, uh, seems like a good guy, but does not have any personality. Director of the National Economic Council, trying to explain why your life has been so affected. I'm talking about seriously affected. Uh, you know, the people talk about Uvalde, absolutely are horrified by it. You talk about Ukraine, we understand the implications of it, at least most do. But if people want to know how inflation's affecting your life, uh, look in your bank account. How Americans are offsetting the increase of the cost of living. 42% are changing how they shop. 46% are dining out less and spend less when they do dine out. 31% are driving less to offset the current soaring cost of gas. Which one are you, by the way? 23% are spending less on vacations. We're going to find that out very shortly. Or canceling them altogether. Some people are so horrified by the airline cancellations during Memorial Day, you're probably going to just back off doing anything you can't drive to. And 22% are make, taking measures such as canceling subscriptions to gyms, cable, etc. Uh, let's hope you don't do that to cable. And certainly... Uh, not to your streaming, uh, especially when it comes to Fox Nation. Inflation disrupts American savings plans. 36% have reduced savings. 21% have reduced retirement uh, retirement savings. That's uh, serious stuff. That according to another recent study. So how are you being affected? And more importantly, according to Emerson, you blame the president. He's got 38% approval ratings. Cut one. My plan is to address inflation. It starts with a simple proposition. Respect the Fed respect the Fed's independence, which I have done and will continue to do. Right. Thanks. That really is going to help me as I'm in California spending $8 for gas. Did you hear, honey? The president respects the Fed. You know what it also means? He isolates the Fed and says their policies are the problem. Why we have high gas rates, inflation rates, which means everything you have is worthless. Not worthless, but worthless. So... Now they're talking about canceling student loans. Some states are getting rid of the taxes on the gas tax. The only thing that bothers me about that is if you start canceling gas taxes in places like Connecticut, New York, which they're doing, you get 16 cents roughly off. Okay, help a little. But where are you making up that 16 cents? You're going to have to raise your state taxes to do the bridges and uh, and roads and tunnels. That's where the money usually comes from. So bottom line is Larry Summers was right. And the president was wrong. The thing that makes it interesting is Larry Summers is works for Obama as, uh, as Treasury Secretary. He is not some right-wing zealot. Not that Larry Kudlow is either, but Larry Kudlow worked for Trump and says you got to tackle inflation. Blaming the Fed's not going to work. And he also believes that on some level this administration's happy. Happy that gas is so much you might be more open to an electric vehicle. The problem, Mr. President, to your, uh, your tongue-in-cheek fake uh, crocodile tears is that the electric cars aren't ready. The infrastructure is not there. Solar panels aren't effective uh, yet, and neither are windmills. In fact, if you go to Europe, I was stunned to see this story that Europe doesn't even want to go to renewables because they don't like the sight of the windmills and they don't like the sight of the solar fields. you believe that? Larry Kudlow, cut five. Biden's article in the Wall Street Journal today that was the talk of the town had no new inflation plan, anti-inflation plan. It had nothing. I mean, what he's setting us up here is for his vision, this woke vision of a fossil-free economy, which is going to do enormous damage to the economy. It'll put it in a permanent recession. It'll cause millions of job losses and rising unemployment. So, you know, I I equate a lot of things to sports. If you're out there and you're giving it your all and you're talking to your teammates and you try to win a game, 
and then you go ahead and put in a backup goalie who's clearly not good because when you finish the game and you lose and you gave it your all and you thought, well, what could I do? You find that the management put in the bad goalie in order to get the number one pick of the draft. They wanted to lose. I think on some level it's going to be it's becoming clearer and clearer to you, certainly to me, that the president wants gas prices to go up. He's paying it at the price. He's going to pay it for the election, but he wants us to transition to net zero. But the electric cars aren't there. The batteries aren't there. We don't have the rare earth. That's the issue. So I'm just stunned by what's going on right now. And the president blaming his own staff makes me feel very insecure about the direction of the country. So the ineptness is concerning. Now, the other thing that's going on that people are talking about in this town when they get back to work, by June 6th, when people go back to Congress to work, they want to have the framework of a bipartisan plan when it comes to securing our schools. The word is the president of the United States is not interested in security for the schools. He wants to go after the guns. He wants to ban AR-15s. He wants to uh, limit uh, or raise the age to 21. He's not getting that directly involved, but that's what Democrats do through Senator Murphy. He knows if he gets any more involved when he makes his comments about AR-15s, AR-15s and the 9 millimeters. he makes things tougher to negotiate. He understands that still because he was there for the longest time and he knows how the White House can many, it's very easy for them to screw this up. Now, everybody wants to harden the target. What I was done to find out is the president is not all in on hardening the targets. Listen to this for Karine Jean-Pierre, cut 14. I noticed there in a conversation about hardening schools, that is not something that he believes in. He believes that we should be able to to give uh, teachers the resources to be able to do the job uh, that they're meant to do at schools. Um, And this is something that uh, he's been focusing on uh, since he was a vice, vice president. Total nonsense. The president's not into hardening the targets at schools. He's not into making schools safer. He wants to make the White House is pretty safe. Most businesses are pretty safe. You know, you go to colleges, they got their own security team. Now he's not interested in hardening the target. I mean, pretty clear is Beto O'Rourke, desperate to matter uh, after failing to uh, get these uh, the Democratic nomination as president, failed spectacularly despite a ton of money. Uh, gave up his seat, did not become senator from Texas, gave up a seat in Congress. Now he wants to be the governor. He has that uh, that grandstanding at the the day after the shooting last week of saying the governor should do more. Then he came out and just said this to Texas. Cut 15. I just took the position that, that may not be politically popular, may be too honest, that not only should no one be able to purchase an AR-15 or an AK-47 because – they're designed to kill humans, and that high-impact, high-velocity round will just tear up everything inside. You'll bleed out before we can get you back to life. Um, but I don't think that the people who have them right now in civilian use should be able to keep them. All right. Good luck with that. That is exactly what people are looking to do. Uh, every Republican says, just watch it. They're coming for the Second Amendment. Look at Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Venezuela, Cuba. They're coming for your guns. And that's what they're saying. Now, I don't know. I hear, according to Politico, uh, Lindsey Graham and Senator Murphy are working on something on the red flag law. I think we all can agree the 18-year-old uh, who's a nut, uh, who's absolutely deranged like the Buffalo shooter as well as the, uh, as the, the shooter in Uvalde. Everybody knew these guys were dangerous. Nobody wants them to get a gun. Nobody believes they should get a gun. So how do we work on the same page to do that? 
technology out there. Senator Rubio told us yesterday that allows us to identify would-be school shooters and violent actors in grade school using some of the same terroristic techniques they used to take down ISIS, Al-Qaeda, uh, and Al-Shabaab and all those across the, around the world. And it's pretty effective. Uh, we'll discuss that. one 866 Rich Lowry at the bottom of the hour. I want to uh, pivot, if I can, to the dorm verdict yesterday. Could not be disappointed, but not that surprised. When you have uh, an AOC uh, contributor, when you have three Hillary Clinton supporters who were in the jury pool, and despite protests, the judge, who's also got links to the Democratic Party, says, you could trust me to be honest and fair. When Michael Sussman has, says, I am coming to you in a text message to see you, Jim Baker, at the FBI, and I'm representing myself. And then you tell the FBI, no, I work for the Democratic Party. You have lied to the FBI. But somehow this jury says that's not the case. Here's Michael Sussman falsely claiming vindication. Cut 17. I told the truth to the FBI, and the jury clearly recognized that with their unanimous verdict today. Despite being falsely accused, I'm relieved that justice ultimately prevailed in my case. Okay. Uh, Five and a half hours in deliberations. One was a fundraiser for AOC, three as Clinton supporters, one with links to an FBI agent we all know, one of the lovebirds, and a judge that's compromised. But we said these guys go to law school. They're supposed to have this uh, push for sanctity and honesty. Would that prevail? Michael Sussman's caught dead to rights, fomenting a false narrative about Trump and Alpha Bank, which is a Russian bank. And he tells the story at the same time somebody else is working the story with the press. I'm just laughing at some of these people writing columns today as if Durham failed. Yeah, Dorm didn't get the conviction, but he presented all the evidence. This is a failure of the jury. With uh, Andy McCarthy has a, a more of a subtle take, but I want to let you hear from John Yu. John Yu is a, a former uh, justice official with uh, with the Bush administration. Cut twenty one. Durham had Sussman dead to rights. Sussman did, in an email and in statements to the FBI, say something that was false, that he wasn't bringing this information to the FBI as part of a partisan campaign of representing someone. He alleged he was just doing it to be a good citizen when we know he wasn't, that he was being paid by Hillary Clinton to do this. Yeah, so we lied about that. How did he get away with it? Well, John Yu says as much as he has him dead to rights, he was not surprised by the verdict, and he's a former deputy assistant to the attorney general under Bush. Cut 20. I'm not surprised that the jury quitted. D.C. juries are famous for refusing to follow the facts and the law. And the trial judge here allowed a number of people who would, I think, normally be kicked off a jury for supporting Hillary Clinton or supporting the Democratic Party from serving on the jury in a case that was about the unsavory campaign tactics of the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton. Yeah. I just wish a jury would be honest. I mean, this isn't one of those things. Ooh, I wonder what part they... I'm going to, you're going to hear from Andy McCarthy a little bit later, and, and he says it's a bad strategy that Sussman made the FBI look as if they were being duped as opposed to being in on it. I'm going to let him explain that to you. He's going to be with, with us live, and he was on last night as his verdict broke. So one 408 7669 I know you have a lot to say. Uh, gas prices, taking off the gas tax, does that make sense to you? Will that change your behavior, which you've witnessed this weekend on vacations, the trouble the airlines are having even staffing? Does that going to witness uh, change your vacation plans? What about the fact that your paycheck's going up but not as fast as inflation? Will that uh, Has that already changed your lifestyle? We'll take a look at all that. 
and so much more. We have a lot to cover. So glad you're here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think that is the lesson of history. Here's the unfortunate, painful fact, and it's true of the U.S. experience, and it's true of the experience of other rich countries uh, like us. When inflation's above four and unemployment's below four, you are almost certain to have a recession within the next two years. We may somehow find a way of beating the odds and having a soft landing, but it would be a historic counterexample, not a historic norm, if that proves to be true. Larry Summers, uh, he was the one who predicted inflation would rise if they passed $1.9 trillion rescue bill, which we did not need. But President uh, Biden gets in, gets all these votes and says, OK, I'm going to use that to rescue the economy that was already uh, turning around. They got $900 billion probably three weeks before. And... Now he's saying, I told you that inflation was real. It was going to go up and it's not transitory. Now you have Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary now, says, I was wrong. And the President of the United States says, don't blame me. But Larry Summers saying, this is what my thought was into. Uh, that was my thought process. He says, I've been wrong before. I just wasn't wrong then. William was on WTRC. Hey, William. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. What's on your mind? I certainly appreciate you taking my call. You know, the, the verdict yesterday... Not surprising at all. I mean, there was a precedent that was set with Clinton in the first place when Hillary walked. Do you remember during the debate and, and Trump was saying, lock her up, lock her up. And, oh, my God, how could somebody say something like that? You know, you couldn't do that to such a political icon like that, like, like Hillary Clinton. All the way down the line, you look at Comey, that was, I was thinking, oh, well, maybe something's going to happen here. That was a farce. That was all set up to make it look like it was going to something that was really going to happen, that they were going to be fair and balanced. All along, there's nobody that has a D behind their name that has to be concerned with anything that they do wrong. Any uh, misjustice. Uh, well, William, I, I, don't, I don't blame your cynicism. I don't fault you for having it. But I think you're going to be wrong when Deshenko is tried in. And by the way, we got a lot of facts out of this trial. And when Deshenko is, is tried in Virginia and you're going to see a much more honest jury, these juries are partisan. I mean, 10 to 1 Democrats over Republicans in D.C. They were up against it. This guy was caught dead to rights, dead to rights in text saying he mis- he misidentified what he was doing and who he was working for. He was saying he represented himself. When he was representing Hillary Clinton, why do we know? He billed Hillary Clinton for the time.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high-caliber weapons is that there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of what you hear about self-protection, hunting. And that was uh, Joe Biden ad-libbing off the cuff. Uh, and that made everybody think, you know, gun owners feel that he's coming for your guns. Instead of saying, let's keep cool schools safe, he would like your guns. Thank you. Much like Justin Trudeau, which doesn't fly in America. Rich Lowry probably is not surprised by this. He wrote a column about this. He's with the National Review, joins us every week. Hey, Rich, well, we wanted to play that for you because you referred to it in your column. And these are a series of gaffes and walkbacks that Joe Biden has made, whether it's Vladimir Putin. Uh, saying Vladimir Putin must go, uh, whether it's uh, talking about defending Taiwan, if it's to, with American forces, if China was to invade. And not only is he not regretful of those gaffes, he's mad at his staff for walking him back. <laughs> yeah. How do you make sense of this? Yeah, this is one of the most incredible stories we, we've seen recently. NBC News yesterday ran the story about what's going on in this White House in disarray and said that Biden is very upset because he goes out there routinely and makes, quote, clear and succinct statements that, that for some reason are walked back by the White House staff. And he thinks this creates the impression, crazy impression, I know, that he's not fully in control and steps all over his authenticity that supposedly fueled his rise. So on, on the foreign policy stuff, you know, with regard to uh, defending Taiwan and whether Putin should go or not. I mean, these is, this is just basic matters of U.S. policy that he's misstating, flagrantly misstating, potentially in a really consequential and dangerous way. So, of course, it's going to be walked back immediately. And then this gun statement, you know, I, I'm not a gun expert. Uh, I have friends who are gun experts. I know enough about guns to know I'm not an expert. But I, I know apparently more than every single elected Democrat in the United States who they're, they're just all ignorant. And Biden showed it with that statement. You know, a 22. My understanding is, it's yeah, it's not quite as powerful as a nine millimeter, but it, when it hits you, it kind of rips through your body internally, kind of bounces around, and it's going to be much more damaging than a nine millimeter that might go all the way through you, which sounds horrible. And look, it's it's not good to be shot in any circumstance, but might be less damaging to your internal organs. So it, it doesn't make any sense. And then to to all of a sudden bring pistols onto the table when the focus has has always been rifles and AR-15s. You know, if they banned AR-15s and nine millimeter pistols, they'd ban the most popular handguns in the United States and those popular rifles in the United States. And there's obviously just no way that would pass Second Amendment muster. How about that? Or any Republican, especially someone pro-gun, and we all know people listening to us right now that are pro-gun are usually the most responsible out there because they have to take the training, they put their mm -hmm. guns in lock boxes, and they know the danger. And, you know, if you talk to, let's say, the most flagrant, the most obvious example would be the Robertson family, Willie Robertson. Says, I was using a gun since I was seven years old, but I was taught how to clean a gun. I was taught what to do with a gun. Mm -hmm. We were we would put the hell was scared put into us at a young age because of the dangers of that weapon. And and that's what gun owners are afraid of. We're going to wake up one day, and now 
They first they want the uh, AR-15. Let's ban that. Now we want the nine millimeter. You just heard the president. The AR-15. That was the gubernatorial candidate, the the epic failure, uh, Beta O'Rourke. And they look at what happened in Canada and say, "What do you mean it can't happen here?" So, yeah, uh, exactly. so that I mean, for Joe Biden not understand the debate at seventy eight years old, thirty plus years in the Senate, knows the gun debate. You should know it backwards and forwards. They're trying to do something bipartisan. I'm not sure it's going to work, but having the president of the United States start saying this only if it makes things more difficult, don't you think? Yeah, totally. And the Justin Trudeau thing is a great example. This guy is a progressive hero. Progressives in this country love him. And what, what has he done? In reaction to a terrible event in the United States, he's banning guns and grabbing guns. So this is obviously these mass shootings are a hellish problem, literally. And, uh, it, and it's very difficult to deal with because you have people taking advantage right. of the constitutional right to wreak this mayhem. So I think all you can do, unfortunately, is work the margins, you know, better security at schools. It's not crazy to think if you can to do a single entrance and multiple exits to have armed guards at schools, to have authorities and parents tilt more towards being alarmed by disturbing be- behavior of young men because, yep. you know, they're always warning signs. And then red, a red – I think red flag laws make sense. I think only at the state level. You want to experiment with them. You want to be careful about how they're crafted. So, you know, you're honoring uh, due process. But again, this, this is all this stuff would only make a difference at the margins. And what we need ultimately is this kind of cultural phenomenon to burn out. You know, Columbine created this idea and, and, and for a certain segment of hateful kids that this is what you do. And, and we just need, need, need to get beyond that somehow. But it's, uh, it's, it's a hellish problem. And just let me just give people an update. Uh, this story from CBS that Lindsey Graham and Richard Blumenthal are making progress in talks about red flag legislation. In recent days, the two have been in frequent phone calls about it uh, to review a red flag. Uh, they co-sponsored that they tried to get through in 2019, make revisions that they believe can enable a similar tweaked proposal to win support on a divided Senate. Look, we want to stop the Buffalo shooter at 17. He was wanted to. He was pulled pulled aside at 17. His records expunged at 18. He passes a background check. This other guy was 17, begging his sister to let him buy a gun. Everybody feared him. Most people predicted he'd be sure to shoot up a school. He ends up shooting an elementary school when he turns 18. So I would love to be able to look at the last 15, 25 shootings and say what commonalities do they have? Would a red flag law help? We could talk about that. But talking more just for a second about Joe Biden, you talk, you compare him to Trump, like Trump a lot of times would step on his own message. Sometimes it's good news. And you also point out that Joe Biden has been doing this for decades. Here's an example. When Joe Biden was confronted by his by his own staff walkbacks, his dismissal of it. Listen, are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage, keep getting walked back. What's getting walked back? It made it sound like, just in the last couple of days, uh, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. <laughs> it sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon, and it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia, and we know... None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. Okay. What do you say, what do you say to that? None of the three occurred. I didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, w- w- what can you do? I mean, you know, who do you believe, me or your lying eyes, uh, right. or your lying ears? I mean, that that's pathetic. And 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 what what that's that's Peter, right? Yep. 
asking the question. I mean, he's the only one who asks these questions by and large. And the abuse he takes, including for the president, you know, and to his credit, he kind of laughed it off. But uh, from, from other, you know, late night comics and all the rest, just for asking these questions, which would, you know, again, for Trump, he'd be hounded every day with everyone asking these questions because it's Biden. It's by and large only one journalist willing to do it. So, I mean, this is, to me, a major problem. Uh, he's going to get uh, slammed. He better get slammed in the midterms. That means performance means nothing if he doesn't, because he has earned 38% approval rating from Emerson. I don't even know why he's even approaching 40, because if you look at baby formula, the supply chain, inflation, all inaccurate, that it was a mind reader on baby formula, they told him in December, that he was a uh, supply chain, uh, that uh, the supply chain was fixed. We know that's not fixed. Inflation was transitory. Do I I need to say any more. Uh, and now with the Ukraine was going to fall in 72 hours. Now we're slowly getting up to weapon systems. Do you know yesterday he was asked too? is just thinking about this. What about the long range weapon system that Ukraine needs? He goes, no, I'm not going to give it to him. OK, well, today he writes a column allegedly and he says, I'm going to give him a weapon system that just doesn't go quite as far. Now, what pilot, what president would blurt out something like that? Uh, I'm not going to give him long for weapons, maybe medium range and instead of far range. But he blurts out a strategic war, uh, a, yeah. a, a, a strategic weapon to the enemy, answering arbitrarily, which you basically got walked back yesterday because they came back with this column he allegedly wrote. He's writing a column a day now, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. <laughs> you know, he's very busy. <laughs> trying to get get a message out there. And he really cares about baby formula. I'll tell you he's going to talk to the Gerber people. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been behind the curve on everything. They had, had minimized and said that the foremost problem in the, in the country, uh, inflation, was going to go away. And they're just paying a price for that. And it's impossible to spin. You know, you, you can't you can't spin how high that counter is going with the, the cost of, of gas as you're filling up. And you're like, it should be filling. It should be full now. Should be full now. And it just keeps on going and going and going. There's just no good, good answer for that. And they'll, they'll pay a big price in November. I would think so. So I got to bring it to dorm real quick. I know you're not a lawyer, but uh this guy, Michael Sussman, was caught dead to rights texting. He was, he was um, not characterizing correctly who he was representing was Hillary Clinton. How do we know he billed Hillary Clinton for it? He went up there and lied to the FBI. They said just one count. Well, on one count, on the same time somebody else was talking to the press about the same count, about Trump's link with the Alpha Bank, which is a Russia bank, all not true, to push that forward against the FBI to do an investigation, which would never move forward if they knew a Hillary Clinton confidant was giving that information. The FBI made it clear, but yet he still gets exonerated, and now it looks like Dorham doesn't know what he's doing, that Trump is making up a story. I mean, how can you possibly look at this and think the jury has not failed to uh, fail to do their job? Yeah, well, uh, Andy McCarthy, you know, my colleague, your, your colleague, uh, he thinks it never should have been – the case never should have been brought because it just wasn't, wasn't a slam dunk. And, the, and one of the key things was the text – that's black and white, where he's misrepresenting himself to the FBI, couldn't be admitted to evidence because the statute of limitations had expired by the time Durham got his, his hands on it. I, I understand the impulse to nail these people to the wall because Mueller did did you know the same thing to anyone who had a you know a, a foreign disclosure that wasn't up to date or potentially had lied to the yeah. FBI. Yeah, so so what's good for the goose is good for the gander. The problem is now this is going to discredit all the good information 
that Durham has. And, you know, the, the really most damning revelation here is not necessarily anything about Sussman. It's about the FBI at the end of the day knew what he was about. They knew his partisan affiliation, and they didn't care. And they, they hid the information from uh, other elements of the FBI, and this thing spun, spun on of its, its own momentum. In, in, anyway. a way, in a way, Rich, but I'm not sure uh, because – he went out of his way to say, I'm coming as my I'm coming as myself, Jim. So in other words, Rich, if you were to go see somebody about something, you say, listen, I know I'm I know I got this great job in the National Review. I'm just coming as Rich Lowry. Now, I know you work for the National Review, but you just told me you're just coming as you. You're not yeah. coming to get a new column or to get a TV gig. You're coming as you or radio job. So I'm like, OK, you know, so I know what you do. They know what he does, but he's coming as you. So. I know you. I think you're authentic. you got to come see me. You know the danger of lying to the FBI. So what's going on? I'm just worried about the country. I mean, Trump's mm-hmm. got this link to Alpha Bank. Look at the cyber, my cyber team turned up. You know, see what you get. And the same thing they're saying to the, to the, to the Times. So here's Andy McCarthy kind of uh, saying what you just said. Cut 19. In order to figure out this case, I think you really have to make up your mind about what the FBI is. Are they uh, a dupe or are they a willing collaborator? Uh, Durham has staked his investigation on the notion that they're a dupe. You have to prove uh, for materiality purposes in a false statements trial that the, that the duped party actually was fooled. And I think the evidence here was pretty strong that even though what, what Sussman told them was false. It was factually untrue. They weren't fooled at all by it. They fully knew that they were getting political information from a partisan source. And a lot of what they did was designed to conceal the fact that they knew that. So, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not burdened by law school or, or ever have tried a case. But I look at this and I say, so? I mean, that's where you go through the further investigation. So the FBI was duped by that, but this guy lied to the FBI. So the fact that you lied to the FBI and the FBI winking and nod says, okay, I know you're lying, but I'm going to go ahead and do this investigation, another wink and a nod, because I'm concerned about the country, air quotes. So let me push this forward. The seventh floor or the sixth floor at the FBI is so excited about this, Comey and McCabe and company, about this link. They're exercised about it. They want to follow it. Now, are they the worst investigators ever? Or are they making sure that Trump has an unsuccessful presidency or mm-hmm. doesn't get elected? Either way, if I'm a jury, what did you ask me? Is this guy lying? Yes. Well, is it – I like to – I'm okay as a juror. Does he lie? Yes, he lied. So I, I, I don't get it. But that does not stop Deshenko to being tried. He's going to get tried in Virginia. Now, that he created the, the Steele document, uh, unwittingly called the, uh, created the Steele dossier on hearsay. He was stunned to see it in the Steele dossier. He's like, really? That stuff I heard through a second source you put in a product that you handed over to the Clinton campaign and you pushed to Mother Jones? Really? So, yeah. So I, I think the thing is the jury didn't see – couldn't consider the text. And, and we look at the text like, yeah, he, he lied. He put it he put it in print. There's no question that he lied. So the jury is just considering his his uh, conversation with the, the FBI agent, Baker, right? That's his name. See, and, why couldn't they I consider the text? I did not know this. Why did they yeah, consider the, the text? Because the statute of limitations had expired, so you couldn't, you couldn't uh, uh, add an additional count uh, based on, on the text. 
uh, is my understanding. And then the, these conversations with the FBI, I don't understand why they're not recorded, but they're, they're never recorded. It's based on the FBI agent's memory, and his memory was a little fuzzy. Um, so then, then you get reasonable doubt, and then you have the materiality question. The FBI didn't believe him. So I just think at the end of the day, whether Sussman should have been convicted or not, the scandal is not Sussman. The scandal is the FBI. And it's, it's the, right. the point Andy raised and the point you just raised. Are they idiots or are they malevolent actors or are they somewhere in between? But that's, that's yeah. the main story. Either way, America loses. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it terrible, really does. Terrible Rich. international life. Uh, Rich Larry, thanks so much. Read his column hey, today. Thanks, All right, one eight two six. You too. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. Celebrating twelve years on the radio. But yeah, it's exciting, or it might be just too much. Kill me. It's Brian Kilmeade. Judge Judy, will you be watching my? Uh, will you be listening to my radio show today? Be honest. If I knew more about it, I would be there glued to my radio. Mr. President, every year I see it falls upon. And it's a fantastic event, and you make me drive, and everyone realizes for sure what a bad golfer I am. Thankfully, we're on radio, so they can't see you swing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's always great to see you, especially in New York. The question is, have you gotten rid of your chest here? Remember that years ago we did an interview and they said, what can I do about my chest yes. If I want to compete in well, bodybuilding and I said, put well, some gasoline on it and well, burn it off. That was true. And <laughs> <laughs> that was your best line because, let's be honest, the only thing keeping me from success in bodybuilding was my, my Italian chest hair. I mean, it was and really studly. What the heck was that? That was a, a trip through time. You kind of surprised me there, Allison. We like to surprise you like that. Did you realize today is the 12th anniversary of you having the show on your own? Oh, I did not know that. Yes. Uh, that's the 12th anniversary for everybody, right? Correct. Yeah, so that's uh, congratulations to everyone. We're still on the air, at least for two more hours uh, today, <laughs> unless something terribly goes wrong. Now, I appreciate our audience continues to grow. Everyone keeps uh, getting the word out about the show, and it gets more and more fun. And I should say thanks to great affiliates like the one hosting me today, WOKV in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida. I'm able to continue to do the show everywhere, anywhere, at any time. So I appreciate it. Tomorrow, I'll be back in New York City, but the show is where Allison and Eric are and Pete. That's at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. That's this hour on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're located at 48th and 6th, heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Today I'm coming to you from one of our great affiliates, WOKV in Jacksonville. I'm going to be joined shortly by one of the smartest legal minds in the business, great writer too, Angie McCarthy. At the bottom of the hour, I think the future Prime Minister of Israel, uh, Danny Dannon, the former uh, ambassador to the United Nations from Israel. He's been at the forefront of every major decision and also uh, at the forefront of the Abraham Accords, which is so underappreciated in today's America. America. This was written about by Nikki Haley today, ironically. The president of the United States is going to be talking to baby formula leaders 
to pretend that he knows and cares about baby formula, even though he's not a mind reader. And he was told about it and could have looked in for it. And his, his, his staff could have made sure this didn't happen. And the FDA could have whispered in his ear that when I shut down this one factory in Sturgis, a lot of babies will be screaming crying because there'll be nothing on the shelves. But no one told him until May, if you don't believe him. But I don't know what to believe because his staff, according to NBC, uh, seems to be turning against him. That's how he actually feels. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I told the truth to the FBI, and the jury clearly recognized that with their unanimous verdict today. Despite being falsely accused, I'm relieved that justice ultimately prevailed in my case. Uh, There you go. Michael Sussman uh, skates. But the Durham probe fights on. To me, this is a failure of the jury, not the prosecution. Andy McCarthy feels differently. He's smarter than me and taller. Michael Sussman was caught lying, and a friendly jury says, so what? Number two. Every agency that was at that scene should be taking heat. Uh, Listen, active shooter protocols say you go in. We're putting it all on the local cop with six cops beneath him. At the end of the day, the police showed up. After that, the sheriff showed up. After that, the state trooper showed up. When did they say, hey, we need to go in? That is a Texas congressman, uh, Uvalde, trying to unwind what exactly happened and what didn't happen at Robb Elementary. Conflicting reports now that the sheriff is cooperating or isn't cooperating. Also, the latest on the bipartisan talks towards uh, ending this obscene violence. Number one. I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that I didn't, at the time didn't fully understand. Someone must have told her at a young age, talk slowly, and uh, she's overcompensated. Uh, that is the Secretary of Treasury, uh, Janet Yellen. Uh, prices are soaring. The White House is secretly cheering while deflecting all blame when it comes to gas prices to somebody else. Janet Yellen falling on her sword. The Fed is being blamed for the current inflation rate. But yet Larry Summers anticipated it, but no one in government did. We'll talk about the economy shortly, but first let's bring in Andy McCarthy. Andy, uh, I was just as you, you did Ball of Collusion. It talked about the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. It almost did. He did accomplish a lot in Donald Trump despite it. The proof of your book was going to be pl- played out in, with the dorm report. How much was lost when Sussman skated? Well, I, you know, Brian, I think... In terms of public perception, um, a lot is lost because, you know, the Democrats don't want anyone uh, to pay any attention to this investigation. And I think on the on the Republican side uh, and especially the pro-Trump side, uh, I, I think people feel like if Durham is going to proceed from the premise that the FBI is a victim here rather than a collaborator in what happened, there's not going to be a lot of interest in that because what makes Russiagate scandalous, and this is what I argued in the book, is the fact that these government agencies were put in the service of Democratic Party politics. If, if the government is the victim rather than, you know, rather than a culprit in, in all of this, then you don't really have – I mean, you have, like, dirty politics, right? You have sharp-elbowed, nasty politics, and the, the Clintons can be nastier than most. But you don't have the element of 
collusion between a political campaign and the government agencies that uh, gather intelligence and enforce the law. That's what makes Russiagate a scandal. And if you don't have that, I think people are going to kind of lose interest in it. So this is the this is the non-legal person talking, just a person who's been following sure. this closely. I, I don't I mean, I'm I'm sad for the FBI if they were duped by this. Um, if more than one person was duped by this, because what else are they getting duped by? But that's almost something to fix as opposed to something to investigate. So the fact that if they're doing with the if Sussman gives this information and the FBI goes, oh, really? Wink and a nod. Air quotes. You're here on your own behalf. Gotcha. So I'll hide your uh, I'll hide your identity and I'm going to ask them to investigate. And then I'm going to when the FBI, uh, when when uh, Clinton minions go to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and says, look at this information uh, and Washington Post. It's the same information about an alpha bank, Russian bank linked to the Trump organization, and they run with it because they want to have an agenda. It doesn't matter. It shows to me an operation to obfuscate and destroy a candidacy and a presidency while lying about it. I And the fact that the FBI was compliant or complicit doesn't matter to me. Why does it matter to you? Well, because I think if it's just the Clinton campaign making stuff up about Trump, that's kind of par for the course. I mean, it's yes, it's a big political dirty trip. And, uh, you know, in the history of presidential campaigns, it'll go down uh, as one of the real, you know, nasty political dirty tricks. But what makes a, so what separates something from being a dirty trick and puts it into the level of something that actually threatens the country is if you have collaboration with the political campaign by the law enforcement agencies. I mean, you know you have it with the media to begin with, but what made Russiagate different is the fact that the FBI took this information and, for example, went into the FISA court and under oath swore that it was true to get warrants to investigate a sitting president of the United States. What the trial showed that was outrageous was even after the FBI agents, not the not the headquarters, the agents that they tasked with running this stuff down, even after they quickly refuted it, this Alpha Bank information that suggested that Trump had a, a, a communications back channel with Putin, um, even after the information was seen to be bogus and was debunked, the FBI headquarters said, we're not closing it down, open a counterintelligence investigation on the premise that Trump is in cahoots with Putin. That's what makes this really dangerous. Uh, you know, the fact that political campaigns have always and will always uh, do dishonest stuff and, and paint their opposition uh, in the worst possible light is not good. And, you know, it's something that uh, unfortunately is an element of our politics and it always will be. But what made this particularly dangerous was the collaboration of the government. And I think Durham's big problem I mean, obviously, you had a big problem trying to do this case in Washington, where you had uh, an Obama-appointed judge who let open Democrats sit on the jury. But even putting that aside, if you're going to premise the case on the idea that the FBI is a victim rather than that they were uh, in cahoots with the Clinton campaign, 
then I think he's going to have big problems. See, I, I look at this. If the, if the FBI is naive enough to be victims, we have a bad FBI. But the fact that they would do this and circumvent national security and openly lie to the FBI, for example, think about how the laptop guy uh, walked in the FBI, as dad did with a laptop, and go, look at this information we got from Hunter Biden. They basically uh, almost accused, treated him like a criminal. If he had lied and made that up and came up with a fake uh, hard drive and handed over the FBI and said, look at this, this is Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden doesn't even have a crack problem, doesn't even go on a hooker, doesn't even have tattoos, and made up all this elaborate Russian or Chinese international business deals. Everyone, no one would say the FBI, and the FBI believed it. No one would blame the FBI. They want to get this laptop owner uh, arrested and the people that put him up to it jailed. Why is it different for Hillary Clinton's camp? They're lying to the FBI to launch an investigation. We have a bad FBI if they believed it, and we have a corrupt FBI uh, if they if they a bad FBI if they didn't believe it, and if they actually were in cahoots, that means they're corrupt. What's the difference? Well, I think it's a big difference. You know, if you if if you have, you know, if if they are simply. Uh, incompetent and they're fooled, uh, you can weed out the incompetent agents and hopefully you get competent ones and they won't think that when somebody who's obviously tied to Democratic Party politics comes to them six weeks before Election Day uh, conveying information that just happens to line up completely with the Democratic Party narrative about Trump. You know, hopefully you get smart enough FBI agents who say, no, we can't touch that. They're trying to entangle us in politics. Uh, You have a much different problem, I'd say, not only by degree, but you have a difference in kind kind of problem. Okay. Uh, If the FBI is conspiring with with one campaign against another one, that's a that's that's an enormous problem. That's that's right. infecting electoral politics with the with the coercive power. Oh, it's terrible. Of government. Yeah, one one I have no hope in the government. Uh, I have no hope. They're the keystone cops of the FBI. Number two, that uh, there's a level of the FBI that's flat out corrupt and political. Uh, it's just terrible. Uh, but in the meantime, in a million years, if I had to get elected by lying about somebody else and creating an international firestorm and hurting our national security, I would expect to be arrested. Um, what about what the jury foreman said? Afterwards, the, the business about we have uh, more important things to deal with in the country than yeah, than uh, yeah. I, I think you know. Number one, that shows <laughs> precisely. You know, Sussman's running around saying, you know, I'm glad the jury found that I didn't lie and I was falsely accused. What the jury, it was unavoidable that he didn't tell the truth. I mean, what he told the FBI, what he told the FBI was wrong. Now. The jury may have found that it didn't make a difference because the FBI wasn't really fooled by it. But to the extent that Sussman's running around saying that, you know, he's been vindicated that he didn't lie, that's ridiculous. And again, you know, the attitude of this juror shows what the big problem in terms of how this case was constructed or this trial was constructed by or presided over by the judge. This shows the problem. This judge thought um, that. He could simply tell the jury that neither Hillary Clinton nor Donald Trump was on trial and that that would somehow make all the political overtones in it go away so that it would be safe to see people who were unabashedly pro-Clinton Democrats and anti-Trump Democrats. And that's crazy. 
there was no way the government was going to get a fair trial under those circumstances. And I think the jurors statement that like there's more important things going on in the world than this case you know there's not a juror in a, unless you're sitting on a case that involves like um you know the crime of the century you're always able to say that the case that you happen to be sitting on is not the most important thing going on in the world that's not a reason not to apply the law to the facts it's insane know? it's insane <laughs> and it's insulting so will will now will the attorney general pull the plug on Durham and this whole investigation citing this verdict and stop Deshenko from being tried in Virginia? I don't think so. I think that, you know, from from Garland's standpoint, Brian, Durham is not going after Biden. He's not accusing the the Justice Department of misconduct. They really he's not even accusing the FBI of misconduct. So, you know, I mean, he's narrowly kind of uh, focused this investigation on the the people who were running the Clinton campaign um, to the extent that they created this narrative about Trump and Russia. And he's not saying that that's a crime. I think, you know, what he's basically planning with respect to that is to write a narrative report saying that they, you know, constructed a, uh, a major political dirty trick. So if I'm Garland and the Justice Department, if Garland does anything to interfere with Durham, he's going to get hammered, at least in the, in, in the conservative media. Uh, and in the fair-minded media, whereas if he does nothing, it doesn't look like Durham is any threat to the Justice Department or to Biden. So, so why should Garland get involved? Uh, don't you uh, – uh, uh, okay. Uh, so Deshenko's next, right? Yeah, that, that's uh, that's October, and he'll have a better – he'll probably have a better chance in the sense that the case will be in the Eastern District of Virginia instead of in Washington, D.C., but, you know, it's still the same thing. He's, the, the theory of the case is that the FBI was duped. So we'll see what happens. All right. Go get him, Andy. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Spelling it out. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll be able to take some of your calls. We'll have a more to know in this too, and we'll continue to look forward. I want to talk to you about this investigation and what's happening. I haven't really sunk into that uh, over in uh, Texas. Now we're getting reports the sheriff is cooperating. Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thought that if you look back on the early days, what we used to think of as conservative versus liberal. Liberal was pro-free speech. People were open-minded, non-violent, you know, and people were open to other people's ideas. And the right was like suppressive, you know, nanny state, you know, condemn certain language, condemn certain behaviors. That's not the case today. Today, the left has gone so far left, so radical that the right are the ones that are celebrating comedians and celebrating Chappelle. Yeah, they had my back through all the crazy that happened Mm -hmm. with me. It was Fox News that had my back. Would you it's, ever think that they would be the ones to cape for you, like, you know, 10 years ago? I'm so liberal. Yeah. Like, I talk I about know. it all the time. Like, I, I say I am not a conservative. I'm not conservative. But I am pro-Second Amendment. Uh-huh. And I am a hunter. And I am a cage-fighting commentator. And I, you know, and I drink and I smoke cigars and I like to bow hunt. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot in there there's that's some, like, hey. Crossover. Yeah. But it's just being a human. But I'm a compassionate person. 
That's interesting. I hadn't heard that. You know, with Joe Rogan, you got to sit down for three and a half hours. That's how long his conversations go. But he's absolutely right. Uh, it wasn't gratuitous. People had his back, not because they believed everything he said, but they would believe he had the right to say it. And I didn't even know he acknowledged that. That's kind of interesting that he that he talked about that. Maybe we should use that on One Nation this weekend. I'm thinking, Allison, I don't know if you're there, but maybe we do something on woke on this whole, you know, the column I sent you over the weekend. So we want to have our producers meeting right now on the air with everyone to hear. Yeah. Excellent. So maybe, do you know that column I sent you? It was in the New York Post. Yes. Just how it's like the woke thing is boomerang quickly. And I mean, we bump in. How about we bump in with that? And we just talk about, we don't even have to talk about politics. Just talk about uh, woke and not woke. Now we got to drill it. Now we're not even talking about Republican and Democrat. We're not talking about liberal or conservative. Now we got to go even further. Crazy, insane, crazy, or just logical, or crazy and not logical. And that whole woke thing at one point was a cool word. You know, I'm woke, I'm with it. Right now, if you're labeled woke, you have to run for the hills. Maybe we should do that. You want to think about it? I like that we can incorporate the Bill Maher from last week on transgender kids and things like that. It would be fun. Right. Okay. Maybe well, not think fun, about but it. interesting. So, now, am I right that the music gets louder and eventually cuts me off? No, you're wrong with that. You just keep on talking through oh, it. Oh, really? I think you <laughs> wait a second. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we have a lot coming up still uh, in this show. As we wait for hour two, special thanks to Andy McCarthy for joining us earlier. And now we're going to uh, welcome in Danny Dannon, the last, um, uh, I believe, the 17th in U.N. ambassador from Israel to serve in the United Nations, which also can be a frustrating and uh, challenging position. He also is somebody who uh, has challenged the Kluge Party, has challenged Benjamin Netanyahu before, and many people think will be a future prime minister, uh, future prime minister of Israel. He's got a brand new uh, book out. It's called Into the Lion's Den. Danny Dannon, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you for having me again, Brian. It's always a pleasure. Yep, uh, the Lion's Den, Israel and the world. Uh, Ambassador, first off, have you missed being in New York? New York, yes. The UN, not at all. You know, (laughs) after a long five years in this hostile building, you know, I think for me and for my family, it's great to be back in in Israel and to speak uh, with you from Jerusalem now. Right, and congratulations on doing the book. First off, tell everybody how you got involved in public service. So I, in my new book, In the Lions, then I tell the story of my father uh, who came to Israel from Egypt in 1950. Uh, at the age of 10, he built a, a family, and unfortunately he was wounded uh, in 1969 in the war with Trishan uh, in the Jordan Valley fighting terrorists. And, and basically that shaped his life and my life. You know, We were very connected. I got uh, involved of learning about the history of the, of the state of Israel, traveling the land, and, and through the, the desire to, to know more about the land, I, I became involved in, even in elementary school, I got involved in, in politics, in public life, and, and I enjoy, you know, serving and, and uh, representing the country I love so much. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, Ambassador, right now, you're, you're in the Knesset, correct? So n- now I have a position, I'm chairman of World Likud. It's the same party of the Prime Minister Netanyahu. We are in opposition, uh, but we believe that in the near future we're going to have elections in Israel again, and then probably we'll be able to, to build a coalition and build a government. 
Now, you for a while were challenging Ben, uh, the former uh, president of Benjamin Netanyahu. What what changed? I worked, you know, with Prime Minister Netanyahu for five long years uh, when I served as the ambassador to the UN. He was the prime minister. Uh, and, oh, I learned to appreciate uh, his skills, and he learned to appreciate my determination. And we, we were able to achieve a lot. You know, when you look back at, you know, the Abraham Accords, for example, the, the great cooperation we had with Ambassador Nikki Haley and President Trump. So I, I think you know, we proved we can be a good team. And that's why today, you know, we support him in the party, and we hope that very soon we'll be able to come back to power. Well, in other words, uh, do you think the prime minister has every intention of coming back, or are you thinking that they'll not, the next time might be your time? So I know. I know that he wants to come back, and uh, I told him that uh, I will not challenge him uh, this time. You know, uh, relatively to him, I'm young, you know, uh, so I have time. And I, I think when the time will come, you know, I gained a lot of experience at the UN. Uh, in my book, I tell all the stories behind the scenes, you know, how we actually worked with so many Muslim countries you know, quietly, where we, we used to meet quietly in, in New York, and at the UN we were ignoring one each other. And I think, you know, the experience I gained will help me a lot in my future political career. What I, you know, what they learned for the long, what you learned for the longest time in social studies in history in America is how Israel and the Arabs, I mean, who could possibly see some type of period where they have peace? And then Egypt happens in the assassination of Anwar Sadat and uh, Jordan is another one you guys have a treaty with. And all of a sudden things change dramatically. How much did things change dramatically with people seeing there are good guys and bad guys in the Middle East and it's not Israel, it's Iran? So, you know, Iran is the source of all evil, but it also brought us together. You know, the connection we have today with the Gulf countries, it has a lot to do with the threat of Iran. So we cooperate, we collaborate. Uh, we know it's a threat uh, for the allies of Israel and the U.S. Uh, in the region. And, and I hope, you know, that the U.S. will not re-enter the JCPOA, will not sign an, another bad agreement with the Iranians. Unfortunately, I think it will happen. You know, you speak a lot uh, in your show about what's happening in Ukraine and, and Russia, but we have to pay attention to what's happening in Vienna. You know, the, the, the U.S. and the European countries are are eager to sign this agreement, no matter what will be uh, in the language of the agreement. For Israel, it's bad news. And basically, it's up to us to, to deal with the threat of Iran by ourselves. Ambassador, right now we understand Iran has enough uranium to make their own uh, the nuclear weapon. And I want you to hear what Ned Price, the State Department spokesperson, said yesterday, Cut 27. As long as we assess, as we do now, uh, that the deal that is essentially on the table, the technical agreement uh, that is essentially on the table, uh, the, as long as we assess that its nonproliferation benefits uh, outweigh uh, the gains that Iran has been able to make in recent years in its nuclear program, uh, we will continue to pursue that deal because pursuing it uh, is ultimately in our national interest. I'm embarrassed that he's an American working in our government, but what is your, what is your take on his assessment? Basically, what, what, what we heard that they said, we will sign any document that will be presented to us. And the Iranians hear it also. So what they are doing now, they demand more. Uh, so at the end of the day, there will be some kind of agreement, but it will allow Iran to continue to export the radical ideas to the proxies in the region to enrich uranium. There will be no real inspection. 
So it's a joke. It's, it's an unfortunate joke, but that, that's what it is. Uh, and here in Israel, you know, uh, we're actually getting ready for the scenario that we will be the one who will have to neutralize the threat of Iran. Do you think this, you, this Israeli government realizes that? I think on this issue, you don't have uh, opposition and coalition. I think we share the, the same uh, uh, idea about the fact that we cannot sit idly by. You know, we saw what happened uh, in Europe uh, not so many years ago when you had a radical regime threatening uh, the Jewish people. So we cannot take uh, the chances that, you know, maybe they will do it, maybe they will not do it. You know, we are not there. So it will be challenging for us. You know, we have a small country, small economy, only 9 million people here in Israel, Brian. But we are determined to protect ourselves. And, and you know, in the book, I write about my connection with uh, Eli Wiesel of Blessed Memory. And one of the sentences he always told me, he told me, Danny, when you walk into the U.N., always pay more attention to the threats of your enemies than the promises of your allies. And he survived the Holocaust. And, and that's exactly what we are doing now. We have to listen more carefully to the threats coming from Tehran than to the promises coming from Washington or the European capitals. How stunning is it, Ambassador? We're talking to Danny Dannon. He's got his new book out. Um, it talks about Lion's Den, and a lot of it has to do with his service as, as an ambassador to the United Nations. And many people believe he'll be uh, a prime minister of the future in Israel. I'm one of them. But I don't, can't go inside Israeli politics, but it's not hard to see how much you've achieved so young. But, Ambassador, right now you have a situation where Iran is dealing with Russia because they don't deal directly with us. Why in why could you possibly rationalize having Russia broker a deal with Iran that's supposedly in our best interests or the West's best interests? So basically the Russians have their, their own interests. You know, they're looking into their economy, and for them Iran is a very important uh, market uh, to sell weapons uh, and to... Uh, uh, deal with their energy and to make more money, uh, but I cannot understand why the U.S. is actually uh, allowing, you know, the, the Russians to be so involved uh, and, and to have these negotiations between Russia, uh, Iran, and the U.S. But the amb- ambassador, they actually part of the deal. I understand it is they take the uranium out of Iran and store it in Russia, and we pay them to do it. Uh, that will be only, only a small portion of the uranium. I can guarantee you that the majority of the uranium will stay in Iran, and they will produce more uranium. So basically, you know, it will allow the administration to say we achieved, you know, an agreement, we can move on. You know, they uh, they will feel good about it, but the substance will not be there. There will be no real agreement that will actually prevent Iran from obtaining nuclear capabilities. Ambassador, when you talk about the Abraham Accords, tell me about the deals that were done and what was next had Trump won re-election. So in my book, in the line of then, Brian, I, I tell the story when I flew to the UAE back in 2016. You know, I had to do it like incognito. They took me from the plane and made sure nobody saw me there. And look what's happening today. We have 14 flights a week from Tel Aviv to Dubai. And now we're opening flights from Tel Aviv to Abu Dhabi. Uh, and, you know, you see the commercial connections, uh, the uh, culture out. It's amazing to see w- what we achieved uh, a little bit more than a year. Uh, and we're grateful for the Trump's administration for those uh, great achievements. Uh, I think we have to speak about Saudi Arabia. I think they were ready to join 
uh, the agreements. Uh, now they are not sure about it. Uh, if the U.S. will decide to engage and to have a dialogue with them, hopefully we will see also the Saudis part of the of the new uh, peace club we have in the Middle East. So when people uh, uh, take the Houthi rebels off the terrorist watch list, that angers Saudi Arabia. Why? Houthis are, are, are allied with Iran. They're lobbing missiles into Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia responds, and I'm not saying it's in the most surgical way, but when you take sides, you can't turn around and ask them for favors. You live in the real politic world. They don't have the government that you would want, but you can have relationships with that government because it benefits your country. Can you explain that? Yeah, the, the, in the Middle East, you know, you have the bad guys and the good guys. The good guys are not perfect. You know, you can criticize Israel, you can criticize democracy in Egypt, even in Saudi Arabia. But when you compare it to the alternatives, the radical Islam that is is getting stronger in the region, then you have to support your allies. And I think today what we see today is the moderate players in the region sitting together, you know, Saudis, Egyptians, Israelis, Jordanians, and we are all worried about uh, the expansion of the radical ideas. You know, the Iranians, they don't care about making more money. They care about exporting the radical ideas uh, to different places. Look what happened in Lebanon, what's happening in Syria now. Uh, and that's why we, we have to continue to collaborate, all the moderate players, uh, and stand together against uh, the evil from Iran. What what is going to be uh, going to calm down? Relate what will calm things down in the Gaza Strip? Do you ever foresee a day when the border crossing will be less formidable? Will there be less? It'll be easier to be done. What has to happen for that to take place? So I think we have to realize that you know uh, today the people in Gaza live under occupation, not Israeli occupation, but Hamas occupation. We left in two thousand five uh, Gaza completely. Hamas took over, and since then the people in Gaza suffer uh, the most, and we suffer also because every few months we have to, to deal with rockets flying into Israel. Uh, hopefully the day will come and they will have a new leadership that will be able to lead uh, the Palestinians, and then they can actually invest in their future. But when you have Hamas, a radical terrorist organization, uh, leading Gaza today, uh, I'm not very optimistic about the future, though. How do you explain the Democratic Party, um, Israel, uh, most of the American Jewish community votes Democrat. When you look at the policy towards Israel, most uh, most honest viewers, observers would say Republicans are a much better ally, especially if you look at Bush and Trump, a much better ally than Obama, Biden. What why did why the disconnect? So first, you know, we, we cherish the bipartisan support. It's very important for us. But whenever people ask me that question, I say, listen, we're not getting involved in our politics. We have enough politics in Jerusalem. But you cannot ignore uh, results. So when you look, you know, when I speak in my book and I write, you know, very interesting chapter about what Obama did before he left office, the resolution he pushed forward in the Security Council against Israel, you know, he had nothing else to do the week before he left office but to, to promote two resolutions, by the way. I revealed it in my book that he wanted to pass two resolutions against Israel. And actually the Russians, they were the ones who stopped the second resolution. Uh, and the first resolution they did pass, resolution 234. 
So uh, I think when you look at uh, the results and what happened during uh, Obama's administration compared to President Trump, you know, we, we have to acknowledge the, the great achievements, opening the embassy, pulling out from the Iran deal, recognizing the, the Golan Heights. And no one can argue with those facts. I hear you. It's all in his book, Ambassador Danny Den, uh, Dannon. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. I look forward to seeing you in New York again and uh, and probably uh, a prime minister down the road. Danny, thank you. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, 1-866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Celebrating 12 years on the radio. But yeah, it's exciting, or it might be just too much, Kill me. It's Brian Kilmead. I am somebody who drinks beer. I love beer. I'm not a big wine person. I'm on the five tonight, and I'm on the. Uh, yeah, but I'm doing your tie. Take your pants off. Uh, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I have very fat thumbs. You do? And I'm not built for the iPhone. <laughs> and uh, people talk to about my thumbs? I autographed it before you read it. Enjoy this cry for help. <laughs> <laughs> Please put some pants on. That's fantastic. <laughs> it's good to be Troy Aikman. It is good to be Troy Aikman. It's good to be Brian Killamy, too. I know that. Now, are you listening to me? Because you're looking at the screen. No, a little bit. Go ahead. Basically watching and listening to you all week. <laughs> you are the hardest man, working man I know in New York. Wow. That's huge. And boom. Brian Killamy. Wow, I'm uh, your recall and ability to put this stuff together. I could almost remember all those different incidents, and I do, do talk about my body a lot. Um, you finding that, Allison, in your research, or Eric? Oh, we talk about your body a lot. We didn't even do the um, tight shirt montage, which I'm sure Eric could pull together if we give him five minutes, because you also like to talk about men in tight shirts, <laughs> if you didn't know that already. Well, when people are fit, I point that out, and you think that that is bad. No, I don't think it's bad. You just always make. What's my What's my line? Um, there are so many lines. Um, I just, I guess, for instance, I'm thinking one off the top of my head. I think we were just watching a clip on the t on the screen of like Anderson Cooper from the night before. You're like, that's a tight shirt. <laughs> you just comment. It's it's amusing. It makes us all giggle behind the glass. I understand. Um, a couple of things. Do you think I should not be doing that? Should I not point out to another man when they're fit? No, I think it's a positive thing. I think, you know, um, commenting on someone's, you know, health and things. I think, look, I'm also one that I think you should give a compliment when you think it, right? Oh, you look very nice today. That's a nice dress. Whereas some other people are a little overly paranoid about that, that it's getting taken the wrong way. But I think if you think, you know, want to give someone a compliment, you give it, regardless of, you know, them looking good in a tight shirt or if a dress is pretty. But do you work with a shirt off? Because all these guys, we, they <laughs> never have shirts on. I did notice some of the guys tend to be very well built. Uh, I see some of them without shirts on. Shirtless guys with spray cans. I did see guys without shirts on last summer in particular. <laughs> so you did have it. So I actually lied, though. You're talking there about men without shirts. Right. Not tight shirts. <laughs> so, again, you were inaccurate and you lied. Like yeah, Janet Yellen. False Janet Yellen said she was wrong about inflation, and you were wrong about my shirt comments. Sometimes I talk about shirtless. I love being in the same category as Janet Yellen. Yes, <laughs> but you talk a little bit quicker and don't <laughs> pronounce every syllable. And you don't mumble when I speak. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, kill me, Joe. Don't move. Live 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here. We come to you with headquarters at 48th and 6th, heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. Today, I come to you from beautiful WOKB Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, one of our coveted affiliates. They're kind enough to put me up, shut me into a beautiful studio, and as long as I leave them alone, I can stay for at least another hour. Uh, joining me this hour, in a matter of moments, we will heard, and we'll, of course, we'll take calls and have a more to know, one 408 7669 The President of the United States is going to meet with the baby formula manufacturers good maybe they could make some more if that come up that might help number two uh nato's having a press conference with our secretary of state as would uh, we got to find out why germany and france are losing interest in helping the ukrainians not good let's get to the big three now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three sponsored by LifeFact. save a life in a choking emergency visit lifefact.net to learn more and use code bk10 to save 10 percent number three i told the truth to the fbi and the jury rec- clearly recognized that with their unanimous verdict today despite being falsely accused I'm relieved that justice ultimately prevailed in my case. Right. Uh, you you skated. Uh, Sussman skates by the Durham probe fights on. To me, this is a failure of the jury, not the prosecution. Sussman was caught lying, and a friendly jury said, so what? Number two. And every agency that was at that scene should be taking heat. Uh, listen, active shooter protocols say you go in. We're putting it all on the local cop with six cops beneath him. At the end of the day, the police showed up. After that, the sheriff showed up. After that, the state trooper showed up. When did they say, hey, we need to go in? Uh, that was a state lawmaker, Rowan Gutierrez, Uvalde, trying to unwind what exactly happened inside Robb Elementary amid conflicting reports of cooperation from the man in charge, the sheriff, who was sworn in as a city council member. Also, the latest on the bipartisan talks towards ending the obscene violence. They're talking some type of gun legislation. We'll discuss. Number one. I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that I, at the time, didn't fully understand. And now she does. I wish she would just slow down just a little bit. Prices are soaring. The White House is secretly cheering while deflecting blame elsewhere. The study shows you're adjusting your shopping, dining, and driving patterns because of inflation. I want to get your take on that. And the White House has an idea of who to blame, anyone but them. Joining me now is Will Hurd, who spent the weekend doing something really important, visiting Uvalde, uh, seeing what was happening with the investigation, and uh, seeing the obscene loss of their experience in the morning that's taking place. Uh, former Texas Congressman Will Hurd, author of American Reboot. Welcome back, Will. Hey, Brian. It's always a pleasure to be on with you, my friend. So you know the area, you know the people, you certainly know the state, uh, and you've also experienced real life uh, in and around your years in the CIA. Can you give the, our listeners a, a sense of what's happening in, in Uvalde? Yeah, well, well, right now, this week, you have uh, a number of parents um, prematurely burying their kids. Right? Uh, we had we had two yesterday. I think there's four today. I was down there this weekend. I, I represented Uvalde for for six years in Congress, and going back there for you know ten years plus. And 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 what people have to realize with a small community like this 
it's everybody knew everybody. And so the, the grieving is not just, you know, immediate family. It's everybody in the community uh, knew those kids, um, you know, uh, they were in baseball practice together. And so it really is, it really is having an impact. And, and then not only are you having to deal with, uh, you know, a, a, a parent um, bearing their kid, you're also trying to figure out what happened. And what 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 happened? How do you prevent this from happening in the future? Uh, what you know, we had presumptions of what happened in the very beginning. It's changed multiple times. So so the community just has a, a ton of questions on top of, of of grieving, and it's a it's a terrible it's a terrible situation. And look throughout Texas, and you know, a lot of schools. Are, this is the last week. You have parents asking, "Is my community?" prepared for something like this? How do we prevent uh, a community from having to get to that, get to this point? And so these are many of the questions that, that folks are grappling with today. So when you look at the investigation and Sheriff Ariando, now they say it was erroneously reported that he is not cooperating. He says he is cooperating, but he was, his idea was, hey, you know what? The shooting has stopped. It's a barricade situation. Let's take our time going back in. Our two guys got grazed when they went in immediately. He's got a lot of firepower. But we do know now that these kids were bleeding out, some of which could have been saved. What does that lead you uh, to say? Well, it, it, so the initial information, again, this is initial information. This is why an investigation is important. Initial information is, is that there was a lot of mistakes that were made, right? There, there, there's no question about that. Um, when you have kids in the school calling, um, that gets to someone. And, 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 and Arredondo, he, he's actually the chief of police for the U- Uvalde Independent School District. And, and this is important to, to know because there were so many different, uh, let me call it flavors of law enforcement that showed up and that was there for a long period of time. So it was the, 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 the law enforcement for the school district, law enforcement for the city, Uvalde uh, Police Department. You had um, DPS, the Department of Public Safety. That is the, the state uh, law enforcement. And then you had some of the individuals from Border Patrol and stuff that, that showed up as well to, to show a helping hand. And it was ultimately a Border Patrol officer off-duty uh, that went in and, and resolved the situation. So the, the, the tactics, techniques, and procedures in dealing with, the, with one of these kinds of shooting is very clear. Everybody goes in, and you don't stop. And so, so we got to figure out what decisions were being made, who participated in those decisions, why did everybody follow um, said decision, how were they getting updated information um, at the time? So there's a, there's a whole lot there's a whole lot of, lot of questions. And, and part of this, look, you know, I, I spent almost a decade as an undercover officer in the CIA. I worked very closely with not only our military, but federal law enforcement. Uh, the role of, of law enforcement is, 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 is important, and they're, they're there to, kick, to take care of us. That's why we throw parades for them. Um, they have a very hard job, but they also have a level of accountability and, and should be held higher to, to, to account. And so we need to understand this, um, not only for the, the 21 families 
that are grieving because they're burying their loved one or their child. Um, but we also need to make sure how do we learn from this in the future so that we can be better prepared uh, for when, unfortunately, something like this happens again. So I want you to hear from Jake, Jake uh, Alvarado. He is a CBP agent who ran into the shooting, ran into uh, their bar to gun and went in. He knew his daughter was in there and his wife uh, how, wanted to see how what's going on. Here's what he told Laura last night, cut 11. My daughter's fine for the most part. She's still, she's still, she still has friends that have passed. Uh, mm. My wife is the one that's really affected because she was right there by the shooter. The shooter bypassed her room and shut up the rooms on the opposite side. And my wife lost some of her close friends. And one teacher who's trying to get the door closed didn't get it closed and locked fast enough. And that is Jacob Alvarado, whose uh, wife's a teacher there. And of course, they had a big celebration that day for a graduation that came out. We're going to get all those, that play-by-play of it, but there's also reports that the police chief might not even have had a radio to hear any of this. The question is, Will, if you show up with your experience and your Bortech, the Bortech guys evidently still didn't get the ghost on. They were just tired of waiting. They grabbed the marshal's shield and they went into a stack and just took over the building. They never got the ghost sign from this guy. At what point do you break command? Look, I, I think yes, if you, you get on scene, get hindsight is, is twenty twenty, Brian, right? But you get on scene, you go immediately, right? You, you, you break command uh, immediately. And, and if you have some situational awareness to, and, and a little bit of evidence to suggest that there are still kids in, that are in there, uh. then you, 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 go in, you go in immediately. And, and the only way, is, you know, because if they're saying that kids weren't there, right, that this was a barricade situation and there was no kids there, how did they have that information, right? They, they got some kind of information. So, so to me, that is immediate. You, you go in and, and, and confirm this. And, and look – in, in that clip from 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 Officer Alvarado, these when you have to use DNA to identify someone, right? That is because it is a horrific image, and there's a, 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 the mutilation is just unbelievable. These are the images that these kids and these teachers are going to have to live with for 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 the rest of their life. And and this is going to have an impact on them for a really long time. And so imagine nine, ten. I, I think there were some kids that were eleven um, that were there. That this was the experience. Um, and and how do we make sure that this you know th- this doesn't end this week or next week for, for these for right. these kids and for these teachers. This this is going to go. This is going to live with them forever. Look, um, the 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 folks in Sutherland Springs. Another mass shooting that happened. Um, I think it was 2018. I might be off a, a year. Um, those communities are still receiving mental health treatment. In the city of Uvalde, there was only one mental health professional. I know that because I helped get it when I was in when I was in Congress. And so, so the resources that this community is going to need um, yeah. in order to to to, to 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 deal with this is going to be pretty significant. 
Absolutely. So the question is now, there's a bipartisan, and I know that you wrote your book about this, there's a bipartisan Zoom call going on. They're trying to framework out something before June 6th when Congress comes back. Uh, Lindsey Graham, evidently, and uh, Blumenthal working on some type of red flag legislation. And then other people, like the President of the United States, wants to get rid of assault weapons. He indicated he walked that back, as usual. Uh, mm-hmm. That he does not want to get of nine millimeters, but well, most Republicans and I thought most Americans want to immediately harden the target when it comes to schools. But his new press secretary feels differently. Cut fourteen. I noticed there been a conversation about hardening schools. That is not something that he believes in. He believes that we should be able to to give uh, teachers the resources to be able to do the job uh, that they're meant to do at schools. Um, and this is something that uh, he's been focusing on uh, since he was a vice, vice president. I don't even know what that means, but why would you be against uh, increasing security in schools? Look, I, I don't know why somebody would say that. This is a, this is a problem that has – this is a multifactorial problem. Yep. And, and oftentimes when this happens, everybody runs to their corner and talks about their one thing. And not one thing is going to solve all of these these problems. Not one thing would have prevented the what 200 and almost 50, I believe, um, mass shootings that have happened um, since in the last 30ish years. Um, I, I know since 2009, there has been more um, killings in mass shootings in the United States than we've had a military killed in combat combat zones in Afghanistan. Right. This is the the numbers that we're doing. There's there's not one solution. So we need to be doing multiple things. There's a group. The only group that I know that has really studied um, uh, mass shootings for for a a significant period of time is is called the Violence Project. Um, Two researchers, they've looked at every mass shooting uh, since 1966. They've interviewed people that were there. And look, they, they found that there's four similarities across um, across these shootings, that there's some kind of childhood trauma. Trauma. There's a crisis point where somebody, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the flip in their the, the, the head, the switch in their head flips. Right. They have a script to follow. They mimic um, other attacks. They have some entity or community to blame, and then they have the opportunity to carry out the attack. The attack. We have to be addressing each one of those things. And yes. You know, and, and, and I, I need to get better language to explain this. In the intelligence business, um, you, you know, the, the attack cycle is the same. And you try to influence the attack before the attack happens. That's, you know, being left of boom is, is, is how we, we refer to it. So we should be doing everything we can to prevent that situation. But guess what? We're not going to always get it right. So we have to be ready to make sure that our, our facilities are, are, are prepared and hardened and, and protected. Uh, we need to make sure that the folks that are tasked with protecting our kids in these places have the right training right. and experience and resources to deal with these things. Things because we again, Uvalde is is proving out that you know not being ready after you know once the attack happens um, could still lead to is going to lead to significant loss of life. Understood, uh, Will Hurd. Always great to talk to you. Uh, your expertise is very needed and missed in Congress. Do you see yourself ever going back? <laughs> Look, I, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old. Turned 45 this summer. I, I, my political career is probably not over. Um, but when the opportunity is right, I'll evaluate it. Will Hurd, the author of American Reboot and Idealist's Guide to Getting Big Things Done. Thanks so much, Will. Appreciate it.
Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll come back, take your calls, and uh, and then of course we'll have more to know a little bit later. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. My biggest concern is the the jury foreman came out and, and really gave up you know what the jury was discussing, which is that they thought this case should have never been brought to their attention in the first place. And that's, that's a little concerning because this looks more like a jury nullification where even though the evidence was overwhelming, even though they, the government proved their case, right. that the jury just decided that this wasn't a case worth pursuing. And therefore they were, you know, and remember, 12 of them voted unanimously not guilty. So that means that, you know, even though the evidence says we know it, which is he you know, said in that text message, but he had also gone up and testified on Capitol Hill under oath that he was representing a client, and his billing records showed that. So, I mean, this, this case to me, uh, factually and, and legally, was a slam-dunk case, but as I had said earlier leading up to this jury verdict, uh, this jury was going to be very difficult for Durham and his team to get a conviction. Uh, former acting attorney general uh, Matt Whitaker bringing up the fact that the jury said, well, this wasn't worth my time. Can you believe it? The jury foreman, not worth my time. If it gets to you, it's worth your time. It's already been through the screening process. Thank very much. Uh, fundamental uh, average everyday juror who might have been one of the three in the jury pool who couldn't support her. So the one who fundraised for AOC or the, the judge who had a relationship uh, or the judge who had a relationship, we believe, uh, excuse me, Sussman had a relationship, their daughters uh, play on the same software softball team or same soccer team or, or one of those teams. I mean, all these things usually get you kicked off a jury, but in D.C. you can't find anybody uh, that's not biased against Republicans. Here is Aline Haba. She was on Hannity last night. She's the, for, uh, the attorney for President Trump. Cut 18. The key of this case, in my opinion, was not necessarily getting a, a guilty verdict for Sussman. He is such a small player in this. He was, frankly, the lowest of the barrel as far as I'm concerned. What we got was the evidence, and I think that was the key. Durham was trying to put out evidence that there was a text message. And I do want your viewers to remember, the text message that came out by the general counsel, Baker, only came out after the indictment in 2021. So the judge actually did not allow that to be considered when they decided his verdict today. That was critical. He had a lot of bad decisions by Judge Cooper, who, by the way, has a relationship with Lisa Page in some regard. So that's also concerning. Yeah, I mean, a lot of cross uh, cross pollination. Logic tells you. I love these people that say that just exonerated. Sussman knows how guilty he is. And anyone who looks at this case knows that Durham's got a lot of substance there. Hope he can finish the job. That's the key. When we come back, Stephen Moore on the economy. It's how it's affecting you and where it's heading now. And Larry Summers has just weighed in. The former Secretary of Treasury of Obama, who predicted what's happening, we'll find out what he thinks about recession. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
I think that is the lesson of history. Here's the unfortunate, painful fact, and it's true of the U.S. experience, and it's true of the experience of other rich countries uh, like us. When inflation's above four and unemployment's below four, you are almost certain to have a recession within the next two years. We may somehow find a way of beating the odds and having a soft landing, but it would be a historic counterexample, not a historic norm, if that proves to be true. That was today, Larry Summers today, talking about the fact that he was 100% right, that the rescue plan of $1.9 trillion was unnecessary, and just uh, put this whole inflation on hyperspeed, which we're witnessing right now. Not transitory. I played it for your last block. Janet Yellen coming out saying, I was wrong about the path of inflation. Said that uh, supply chain and other things happened, large shocks to the system. She said she was wrong. Everybody's saying they're wrong, so the president could say, not my fault. He says it's really up to the Fed. And one of his great things that he's doing is letting the Fed do its thing. Is that the right move? Uh, Steve Moore joins us right now. Economist extraordinaire. There's nothing he can't do. Stephen, is Larry Summers right here? When the, when you look at those raw numbers, are we heading to a recession? Well, let's hope not. I pray we don't go into recession, Brian, because I've lived through seven recessions in my lifetime, and they cause real pain and misery. But this inflation is just is not alleviating. And by the way, I saw an interesting story today. I don't know if you guys have reported this at Fox News yet, that some of the service stations, have you heard about this? They have to put another digit on the they have to put another digit on the uh, on the uh, gas uh, pumps. Yep. For, so, so when we hit $10, I shouldn't be laughing. I should be crying. But, you know, that's how bad the inflation was. In the, the, uh, Brian. They, do you know what the uh, – you guys have reported this fact. The, the gas price when Trump left office was about two fifty nine a gallon. Now we're paying – I just paid five fifty a gallon. So almost a doubling in my gas price, two fifty a gallon more. That's, that means I'm paying you know, $30, $35, $40 more for a fill-up. Um, this, is, this is the worst inflation we've had since Jimmy Carter was in, in office. No question, and they admit it. Uh, but they and they admit they were uh, Janet Yellen admits she was wrong. Here she is. Cut to. Yeah, I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted uh, energy and food prices and um, supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't, at the time didn't fully understand, but we recognize that now. Right. Uh, do you feel better now that you recognize it? And what do you think they're going to do? The president said you can't blame me, and I'm not going to talk to the Fed. I'm not going to deal with the Fed. I'm going to keep my hands off, although they met yesterday. Well, you know, Brian, what's infuriating about that statement, is you, you may recall, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 months ago, I was on your show saying, hey, if they pass these three, four trillion dollars of spending bills, we're going to have inflation as sure as the sun comes up in the east and rise, you know, and, and sets in the west. I mean, it was obvious. And oh, I wasn't the only one. Larry Kudlow, even Larry Summers, who's a Democratic, you know, economist, said that you're going to have runaway inflation if you do this. So why was she so surprised by this? Well, she just, you know, Janet Yellen, by the way, has been the biggest disappointment. When I saw all of the uh, Biden appointments, most of them were just crazy left wing ideologues. But I thought at least Janet Yellen is a pretty sensible economist. But she's drunk the Kool-Aid over there in this White House. And all she's doing is parroting 
you know what the uh, what the um, green energy people are saying about how and, and it's not incidentally this is the other thing that makes me so angry when Joe Biden said yesterday in that Wall Street Journal piece, and he said it a hundred times in the last few months, I'm doing everything I can to reduce gas prices. That's a lie, Brian. Everything they're doing is to raise gas prices. They, this was part of the plan to force people to stop using fossil fuels because they're evil and they're destroying the planet. Yeah, here is Larry Kudlow on that whole thing, uh, because we're not ready for the transition. If it was queued up and everything was there for us and we just chose not to get it, that's an interesting debate. But instead, you're quietly cheering the rise in fossil fuel prices. Cut five. Biden's article in The Wall Street Journal today that was the talk of the town had no new inflation plan, anti-inflation plan. It had nothing. I mean, what he's setting us up here is for his vision this woke vision of a fossil-free economy, which is going to do enormous damage to the yeah. economy. It'll put it in a permanent recession. It'll cause millions of job losses and rising unemployment. So, and the thing is, if you tell the American people, I'm doing everything I can, but we also right. know different. And we know the oil and gas companies got to start speaking up for themselves and saying, yeah, I'm not going to drill on this land. There's no right. financing for it. You know it's all going to be temporary. And then I'm going to be stuck uh, basing my model on oil and gas prices that are way too high. When they come down, my whole country, my company's going to go bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. And, and don't forget, folks, that the very first act in office of, of Joe Biden was to kill kill the you know Keystone Pipeline. We need pipelines for our energy development. I mean, it, it is heartbreaking to me because when I used to talk to Trump about energy policy from you know the start of when he started running for president, he always talked about how we could become energy independent and energy dominant. And we were. That's the thing, Brian. You go back 15 months ago, we were a net exporter. <laughs> but but Steve, when people our- say it's a global price, a global commodity, they don't look at that. What do you tell them? Well, it is a global commodity, but the fact that the gas prices, you know, the oil price is now $115 a barrel. Why aren't we producing more of it here at home? Make Think more. About, we're, we're losing a half a trillion, I mean, half a billion dollars a day, Brian, a half a billion dollars a day because we're not producing it here in Oklahoma, in North Dakota, in Texas, in Alaska. Instead, we're getting it from Russia and Iran and, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia. So but the other thing he said in that piece, I mean, Larry is absolutely right about the energy policy. But then his other plan to, uh, to deal with high prices was more green energy subsidies. Ugh. I'm like, come on. That's what green, you know, how much of our energy today comes from um, fossil, uh, from wind and solar power. Brian, how much? Six percent. Six. So how in the world are we really going to solve this problem with windmills? Well, you get, how about the fact that – how about the European Union doesn't want their windmills? They're saying, okay, let's go renewables. They don't want their windmills and solar panels. It messes up their countryside, and they have been too erratic. Now they're going to go back, it seems, to nuclear. I'm not sure if you're hearing that, but this is all revolving around yep, trying to get course. Russian oil and gas. So just for people listening right now, you know, Steve Moore can talk uh, big, macro, and micro and talk about how this affects the family. Inflation interrupts the American savings plans. 36% have said that. Mm-hmm. 21% have reduced retirement savings. How Americans are offsetting the increase in the cost of living. 42% are changing how they shop. 46% are either dining out less or kind 
legislatively spending less. 31% are driving less. 23% are spending less on vacations. 22% are taking measures such as canceling subscriptions to gyms and cable and other things yeah. like that. And here's the other thing. Because we can't get anybody to work, U.S. robot orders have surged 40% because of labor shortages. Yep. As I as I said, as I read you all those numbers, how because the American consumer responds to the challenges they have, correct? They're not going to wait around for the government to solve their problems. They're they're changing their lifestyles. They they are, and 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 you know when you pay more for gasoline, it revert, it just ricochets throughout the economy. And you know I I think it was about two or three weeks ago we talked about this on Fox and Friends, and I I've mentioned you know the eight to eight and a half percent inflation, and I can't tell you how many angry emails and letters I got from people saying Steve Moore stop saying eight to eight and a half percent inflation, and people said I'm not paying eight and eight and a half percent more, I'm paying twenty percent more, I'm paying sixty percent more for my gas, I'm paying forty percent more for my air conditioning and electric bills, I'm paying thirty five percent more for fruits and vegetables and beef, I'm paying more for my rent. So so the real inflation, Brian, that average middle class Americans are paying to pay for their essentials, food, medicine, energy, tuition, those costs are up way more than eight and a half percent. That's so it's it I think we're understating how bad right. the inflation is for working class Americans. I want you to hear what else Larry Summers said. Listen. I think the consensus last spring was wrong. Uh, the consensus didn't see the overheating risk. I've been wrong plenty of times in my life, but I did see that there was a very substantial uh, demand pressure that was building, and it seemed plausible given that, that there would be bottlenecks. But I think in fairness to Secretary Yellen and in fairness to the Federal Reserve, what they were echoing was uh, a consensus view of economists at that time. That consensus has turned out to be wrong. And I think that does require some rethinking of conventional models among uh, the economists who do these forecasting, nowhere more important uh, than the Fed, which is why I talked about the need for some institutional uh, soul searching there. But I think the important issue is uh, looking forward. And Yeah, and he, he went on to say he thinks that the corporate tax cut that Trump gave, that he said was a boon to corporate America, some of that should go up again. And there should be global cooperation on raising the corporate tax yeah. rate. What's your thought on that? No, I mean, that's, look, Larry Summers has, he, he's a Democratic, you know, Obviously. Uh, economist, yeah. and he's, and, but he's an honest one, and I disagree with him on, on the corporate tax cut. As you know, I helped put that plan together with Larry, Larry Kudlow and, and Trump and others, and we actually sucked capital in from the rest of the world. We we want to be the low tax country in the world, just like Florida wants to be the low tax state, right, Brian? And so well, let's make you know United States the Florida of the international economy. Um, but look, I think it's interesting when he says it talks about the consensus because my whole life I've been in this business for forty years, Brian, and you've been in the game a long time too. Is taking on the consensus because so many times the consensus is wrong. Yeah, it's like when they say, "Oh, you know, everybody agrees there's the climate change and blah blah." blah. <laughs> and folks, you know, there, there's so many times when the consensus uh, opinion is wrong, and that's why we have to be open-minded. And this idea of trust the science. Well, this, all science now is political. It's all political, Brian. I mean, it, that's what's so frustrating to me. But I, I'll tell you one thing. I really honestly believe, and I'm, I'm biased because I work for Trump, 
I think the economy would be booming right now if Donald Trump were president. With COVID basically coming to an end and the businesses reopening, people going to theaters, people going to restaurants again. We shouldn't be in this situation today. I know. I know. Uh, Americans are still spending, but they're about to feel it. But no, no prices. People are scrambling to get That's houses right. right now because they think interest rates are going up, and they are. Everybody's recommending that's the way you stop inflation to raise interest rates. But there's going to be a stoppage on the housing boom, right? That's yep. going to curtail some of the prices. Just logic would tell you that. And sooner or later, we're going to look around and say, "Yeah, I did get that raise, but it's not as much as the inflation." That's so I'm right. going to have to that's calm right. down. And you know, it's a, on a minor point. If you tried to travel this weekend and just found out your flights were canceled, not because of weather, it's because they couldn't staff, you're not only saying to yourself, is it worth the headache of making plans and having these airlines just cut me out, and then I'm stuck with my days off or problems and the stress? You add all that together with the price of vacations, a lot of people, this could really ripple into the economy, and I hope it doesn't. Um, uh, but, you know, with a supply chain, you can't get baby formula. People are wondering where stuff is. When you go to get a, a soft top for your car and you got to wait eight weeks for it where you used to be eight hours, yeah. Uh, yeah. everywhere you go, it's a little bit of a challenge. Well, Brian, I don't recall these supply chain problems, do you, when no. Donald Trump was president? So this is a result of a faulty economic policy. And the only one thing I might just disagree a little bit on, you're right, the Fed has to raise interest rates, but the best way to solve inflation is do what Reagan did when he took over from Carter, cut taxes, cut regulations, increase the supply of products, right? Because when you have more of goods and services, guess what happens to their price? They go down. Right. Uh, supply. Well, we just have nothing to yeah. flood it with. We have no supply, Stephen Moore. Exactly. Yeah, that's why they call us <laughs> supply setters. Because Reagan was a supply setter. Art Laffer, Larry Kudlow, me. We believe we can increase the production right. in this country. That's why let's let's go all in on energy, Brian. Let's produce our oil, our gas, our I coal, know. our nuclear power, everything we got. I know, but it seems as though we have a guy in the White House that's at war with his own, own communications team, let alone solving our problems. Uh, Stephen Moore, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay, Brian. Have a great week. Take care. You, you got it. When we come back, we'll find out if there's a need to know more. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Celebrating 12 years on the radio. But yeah, it's exciting, or it might be just too much, Kill Me. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, everybody, this is Al Roker. Hi, this is former NYPD Commissioner Ray Kelly. This is Senator Lindsey Graham from the great state of South Carolina. Hi, this is Tony Robbins. You're listening to my good friend, Brian Kilmeade. He's going to get your attention. He's going to inspire you. Stick around. You know the joke, why didn't you cross the street because the baboon was on the other side? There you go. There you go. <laughs> You know, they look aggravated. If you judge, they look aggravated just by judging how red their hiney is. I mean, that has got to well, be aggravating. You know, if you had a red hiney, wouldn't you be a little upset? Exactly. I mean, now suddenly it well, all makes sense. Yeah, when my butt's sore, I'm in a really foul mood. Uh, yeah. You're going to do your own show and probably not have me on. That's because you get off on Saturdays. It's your day off. That's a better way to say it, if you don't mind, Julie. That was, by the way, who was they talking to, uh, about the baboon to? That's Harry. Are are he Harry, Harry Harry? We love Harry. He does our Zelensky. He's our Zelensky translator, and also the our you know the king of production underneath uh, Frank. Oh, Bruno. okay, got it. I I did not realize that, guys. That was fantastic. Uh, it makes me realize how important everything I say is. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's uh, um, Allison. Let's yes. find out if we need to know more. Okay. 
More to know. Netflix CEO uh, Reed Hastings' wife and hedge fund heiress Liz Simons back hyper-woke L.A. City Council candidate, the 32-year-old who wants to abolish the police despite living hundreds of miles away. Patty Quinlan and Liz Simons paid $85,000 for their campaign for Eunice Hernandez, who is running for city council. 400 miles from where they both live. Of course, they don't care about their own. Uh, they don't care about their own security. They have their own security. Simon lives in an 18 million dollar mansion, uh, which President Obama visits in 2013 for a fundraising brunch. Hastings and his wife live in Santa Cruz, 340 miles away. That's sickening, isn't it? It is. Yeah, let's promote the candidates absolutely on the extremes, but won't impact them at all. Next. Canada is decriminalizing cocaine and MDMA for three years amid an overdose crisis. Move aims to encourage drug addicts to seek help and free up police time. So, do coke. I'm not going to arrest you. But if you have some time in between snorting, go get rehab. Is that the theory? I think so. But basically, they also want to take away all of the guns. So, <laughs> right. And, and do and, the drugs, no guns. And destroy the truckers. Exactly. Great Next. place to live. Three in four Americans have recently suffered an injury while working out, a new study suggests. They looked at 2,000 people. They said 7 in 10 abandoned their fitness regime because of the pandemic. 88% are determined to return in the pre-pandemic form. However, however, half, that's 56%, say an injury in the past year is to blame for not getting back. Do you think people are faking the industry, uh, the injury? <laughs> um, they... I feel like maybe not faking, but like maybe embellishing. Like, oh, I just don't want to hurt my ankle right. again. That I'm sorry, the pandemic shoulder. was the best time to get in shape. People had more time than ever. You're not commuting to work. You're just at home. So, I mean, I know people sat home and just ordered and ate more food. But but, but you know what people have said? If you want something done, give it to a busy person. That's when you true. have a lot of free time, you tend to put it off. That is true. All right. Uh, sadly, that's all with the time we have right now. But we have much more to go the next time uh, we're together on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks to everyone at WOKV in Jacksonville for housing us. And remember, keep it here and get the podcast, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. This way you can do your own program, Director. You can download when you're good and ready to listen, which is every minute of every day. Thanks. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.